If you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Um, if you don't have a Bible, the scripture we're looking at is on the inside cover of your bulletin. Uh, there's also there a, an outline if you want to take notes. We're going to be reading 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Um, but we're really, today we're just going to focus on verse 1. And so friends, listen. This is God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God's word. Well, I asked you last week as we began to look at this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, I asked you to make a resolution with me. Right? I asked you to resolve with me to become people who celebrate. Right? People who celebrate. Uh, we saw that in this letter that Paul writes, Paul uh, is celebrating both God and others. Right? And we want to be people this year. We want to become a church that is better able to celebrate uh, we want to shift the focus of our lives from situation to celebration. Because that's what Paul does in this letter. He has a strength. He has a strength and a power in him to celebrate God and Timothy, even in the most difficult situation. And as this letter begins, we see that for Paul, this strength comes from his identity. Or it comes from who he is. And when you know who you are, you know what to do in any situation. Um, when you know what to do and then you do it, that's the key to becoming people who celebrate. And here's the tension. Here's the tension when you think about your identity, is that so many people really don't know who they are. Um, if you read and do, you know, do some study, you know, basically half the people in any room so no matter where you are, half the people in any room would tend to say, I don't know what my purpose in life is. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. I'm not exactly sure what I'm living for. And I wish I knew because I feel like I'm drifting through life without a clear direction or purpose. Right? You identify with that? People say, I want to have a meaningful life, but I just don't know how. And I think what's powerful about this is that when people don't know who they are, they feel purposeless, they feel worthless, they feel pulled in every direction, right? You think about, you, you see somebody else being successful at something, you think, ooh, I want to be good at that. And, and then you kind of strive and try to make progress in that. And then you see somebody else doing something different, and you think, oh man, I'd really like to be good at that. Right? This is the death of social media, right? The death of you have too many blogs that you're following, right? Everybody's good at one thing and you can get pulled in 20 different directions trying to be good at all these different things and you don't know who you are. And so you have no rubric to say, you know what, this is who I am and this is who I'm not. Right? And you lack focus in your life. People that don't know who they are, um, they also feel guilty that they don't do more. Because right? they don't have a clear sense that, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, so I know when I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Right? They never feel like they've done enough, and then they chase things that can't make them happy. 
um, ESPN did an article on Michael Jordan, I think sometime last year, and it was amazing that Michael Jordan allowed the, the, the writer of this article so close into his life that he could see that really <clears throat> he has no peace. He has no peace. And the reason he has no peace is because Michael Jordan's identity is wrapped up in the fact that he is the greatest basketball player who ever lived. Okay, and hear what I'm saying. Michael Jordan's identity is wrapped up in the fact that he is the greatest basketball player who ever lived. Right? The problem for Michael Jordan is that he was the greatest basketball player who ever lived. Right? But he's not anymore. He can't play basketball anymore. He can't play professional basketball at that same level. And because of that, he has no identity anymore. He doesn't have an identity after playing basketball. And so I'm reading this article, and it was, it was really kind of devastating. I felt sorry for him because his identity, he doesn't know what to do with himself because his identity is wrapped up in something that he is not anymore. Donald Miller, who has written a lot of books, um, he's written something called Storyline, which tries to help people find their meaning and their purpose in life. He says that the people who have the most meaningful lives have clear goals. They have clear goals, and clear goals means they know their identity. They know who they are, and they know what to do. And so where are you with this? Are you clear on who you are? And if you're not, I mean, the struggle is, well, then how do you get your identity? How do you choose, right? Who do you listen to in terms of trying to figure out who am I and what, what should I be doing? And the good news for us is that from this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, um, we can derive an identity that comes from God. Because what if your identity came from God? Then there'd be tremendous power in being deeply confident in who you are. That can give you, if you understand who you are, it can give you the strength to then become a person who celebrates in every situation. And so this is the first lesson that we're going to see in verse 1 of this text. If you want to take notes, the first blank there is just to remember your identity. At the beginning of this letter, Paul rehearses who he is. This letter begins by Paul saying, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, he rehearses his identity. And I want you to remember where Paul was. Paul was in the, the Mamertine prison. You can visit this in Rome today, or you can go on YouTube. Here's some pictures. Right? This was the upper portion, the upper portion of the prison. Um, it was cold, it was wet, it was disgusting. And in the middle of this upper floor, there was a hole. It didn't have a grating over it before, but this hole, they dropped the worst prisoners through this hole down to the lower level. And that's where it was. They were chained to this pillar that's on the left. And so Paul is down in the lower level of this prison cell that, like we talked about last week in much more detail, it was connected to the sewer system. And Paul was in that place waiting either to be drowned in the filthy toilet water of the city of Rome or to be sentenced to have his head chopped off. And so if you were there, right, if you were there in that prison and you were going to write a letter, how would you introduce yourself? 
When you're down and out now, when things are frustrating and you think about writing a letter, how would you start it off? How do you think about yourself? Well, as Paul introduces himself, he remembers his identity and he rehearses who he is. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And so, again, I want you, I just want you to be there with Paul, right? You can imagine the kinds of things that he was thinking um, in the midst of his situation where his life was in jeopardy, right? Where everything had changed for the worse. What Paul did was he went back to the one thing that never changed. And that was his relationship with God. In remembering his identity, Paul went back to the one thing that never changed. Paul dug down deep, past relationships, past people, past circumstances, past everything, and he remembered the bedrock of his life was his relationship with God. He was an apostle of Jesus. An apostle was a special office. He was sent by Jesus to share the message of Jesus with the world. Apostles were particular people. There were 13 of them in human history. 13 of them. They had personally seen Jesus risen from the dead, and Jesus gave them his authority to represent him on earth. And so the apostles preached the message of Jesus. They spoke with Jesus' authority, and then their words became written down. And then they, be- and they became the documents, the-, the books of the New Testament. And so the apostles laid the foundation. They laid the foundation for the church. And so for Paul, Paul knew that he was called by Jesus to represent him and to show that Jesus came to prove that God loves the world. Paul remembered that Jesus had called him. He remembered that Jesus had saved him and that Jesus had sent him to preach the good news of salvation from sin and this gift of new life. And so Paul is there in prison. He's got people who have abandoned him. He's got people that are saying the fact that he's in prison means he's not even a Christian, let alone a teacher of any kind. And in the middle of this circumstance, in the middle of waiting for his impending doom one way or another, Paul stops. Paul stops and says, wait a second, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. And when he remembers his identity, when he remembers his identity, he goes back to the beginning. He goes back here. Because maybe Paul doesn't know why God is doing this in his life. Or maybe Paul doesn't know why God has him in jail. And so he goes back to what he does know. Are you with me? Let's say, if he doesn't know, man, how did I get here? Why am I here? What is God up to? He goes back to what he does know. He knows God. He knows God. And he knows he was called by Jesus to be an apostle. So Paul thought, I know I'm an apostle. Jesus called me and sent me. So if I'm an apostle, what do I do next? And he begins to write this letter to Timothy. From his identity, we get this letter. 
And so for us, it's the same thing. When you don't know what God is doing, when you don't know why your life is the way that it is, you need to go back to what you do know. You need to go back to your identity. What is it? What is your identity? How would you think about, if you try to think, okay, well, who am I? Where does it start? Well, if we're following Jesus, then our identity begins with the fact that we are Christians. We're Christians. We're not apostles like Paul is, but we are Christians. Um, That means that we bear the title that Jesus had. Right? Christian is just Christian. Um, It means Christ followers. And followers of Jesus were called Christians because they identify with Jesus as the Savior. Christ was a title. It wasn't his last name. You can tell from this verse because Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, the word Christ meant Messiah. It meant Savior. And so Christians are people who identify with Jesus as the Savior. And people who have experienced salvation, Jesus' salvation are called Christians. When we're baptized, we are given Uh, Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so when we're baptized, we're baptized into God's name. And the idea here is that baptism is like an adoption ceremony. It's God saying, you are my son, and with you I'm well pleased. It's God saying, you are my daughter, And with you, I am well pleased. And so when we are baptized, we are given the name of the triune God. We're given the name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we join God's family. We join God's family and we receive his name as he adopts us. And that is the biggest part of your identity. Right? When you think about who you are, you want to think about, you want to start with the most important thing. And if you know God, if you have a relationship with God, if you're one of God's children, then your identity starts with that. That's where it begins. And in this way, our identity is similar to Paul's. Right? Paul's role as an apostle was unique. Right? Only 13 people in human history. Paul even says he was the last apostle in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, but we are called also to share Jesus and to show Jesus in the world. All Christians are sent to share Jesus in words and in deeds. And so being a Christian is kind of our meta-identity, right? It's the banner over all the rest of who we are, okay? Every other relationship, every other role that we play, whether it's a role in our family if, if we are a spouse, if we are a parent, if we are a child, if we are a brother or a sister, if we're a cousin, if we are an employee or an employer, if we're an owner, right? If we're a citizen of a city or a state or a country, uh, right? All the roles that we have to play, this role of being a Christian, of bearing the name of God, affects everything. It affects everything. How does it affect us? Well, if we have the name of God, if our identity first and foremost is Christian, 
And that means that God is our Father. God is our Father. That He cares about us. That He is with us. That His power can work miracles in the situations of our lives. When we remember this, that we are children of God. When you remember, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. The all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving Jesus Christ is with me. Bring that into the situations of your life. Remembering this moves us. When we remember this, it pushes us to move from focusing on our situation and it moves us to celebrate. Because these are things, like being a Christian, this is true of you no matter where you are. This is truth that can lay at the foundation of your life no matter where you are or what is happening to you. Now, when you think about this, when you remember your identity and you realize, I am a Christian, this means that I have the love of God. I've been accepted by God. I've been forgiven of my sins. I've been welcomed into his family. He cares about me. He is with me. Right? Jesus has done all of this work for me. Well, then Jesus also has done all this work in me. He's changed my heart. He's made me new. So now being a Christian father is different because I've got Jesus in me and with me. And so that impacts the way that you act as a father, the way that you act in the workplace, the way that you act in all of your relationships. Right? Remembering your identity profoundly impacts. It enables you to celebrate God no matter what, in every situation, including Paul's. Right? And if Paul could do this, then boy, so can we. Right? It moves you to celebrate God, and then it changes and renews you. And so remembering this is great comfort, it's great assurance, but remembering your identity also stretches you. If you remember that you're a Christian employee, a Christian employer, if you remember that you're a Christian spouse, a Christian roommate, right, a Christian neighbor, then that identity will stretch you. It will pull you and make you more loving. It will make you more patient. It will give you a greater sense of appreciation for the people around you. Um, more of who you'll be forever will come out of you when you remember your identity. Are you with me? And so remembering your identity will, like there's stuff in you that sometimes we just sort of keep down. We don't let God work in us and through us sometimes. But when you remember your identity, it will stretch you. It will remind you, wait a second, man, I'm just beginning to let Jesus work through me. I'm just beginning to let this identity affect the relationships and the roles that I play in my life. It really does affect everything. The eternal part of who you are will grow as you spend time thinking about and remembering your identity. I mean, in some ways, with city Bible reading, you know, the boxes, you know, the thanksgiving step is a way to remember the eternal part of who you are. It's a way to remember that you are a Christian, 
that you have a relationship with God. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me your child. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for, right? It's not just thanksgiving in general, but it's specifically thanking Jesus for his salvation and the way that it affects us. The confession box, that's us saying, okay, Lord, we know that we are supposed to be this way, but we're often not, right? It's a chance to be honest about the stuff in us that's not eternal, but the thanksgiving part will cause that eternal part of who we are to grow, to grow and to magnify in our lives. So we see from Paul, we need to remember our identity. The second thing that Paul teaches us um, by remembering our our identity, it then speaks to us in the darkest situation, confidence. Okay, you need to put a coal in there after the word situation. It speaks into the darkest situations, confidence. Confidence. It gives us confidence. Because as Paul, look, look what Paul does. As he remembers his identity as an apostle, he also remembered that his identity was by the will of God. So he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And so, again, remember that Paul is in this prison cell, okay? He is dealing with all of these awful circumstances in his life, and he begins to write this letter, and he remembers, I'm an apostle, and I'm an apostle by the will of God. And so for Paul, Paul is remembering that, you know what, suffering doesn't mean that God was mad at him. Suffering doesn't mean that he was doing something wrong. Paul was in jail precisely because he was being an apostle. Right? He was in jail because he was teaching people about Jesus. He was proclaiming that people could find life and hope and salvation in a relationship with God through Jesus. And so Paul knew, he knew that though he was in jail, he was in jail by the will of God. And so remembering this, Remembering this gave him confidence, right? Gave him confidence, gave him security, gave him assurance. In some ways, this remembering, it was like a justification for Paul in his awful circumstances. Think about this. You know, Paul's in jail, he's awaiting death, and so many people out there thought that his circumstances were proof that he wasn't even a Christian, right? That he was a fake, he wasn't sent from God, But remembering his identity kept him going. Remembering his identity, he knew that he was there by God's will. He knew that Jesus had said that it was God's will for those who follow him to suffer for his sake. Paul knew that being a Christian meant a call to suffer. It meant that there are going to be times where the world who isn't excited about Jesus isn't going to be excited about you. And that there will be times, if you do the right thing, that you will suffer for Jesus' sake. And so, remembering that, that he was in jail because he was fulfilling his identity, Paul knew that God was in control. Paul knew that God was in control, even in the prison, so that he could have confidence in the darkest situation. You follow this? 
I mean, I hope you can receive this because, and, and we're going to see more of this. There's a huge theme of suffering that comes up over and over and over again in this letter. And we're going to see specifically how Paul dealt with the suffering in more particulars as we go through the letter. Um, we're also going to see the perspectives that he had that kept him sane, that kept him strong, to continue to be able to celebrate God in the midst of what he was dealing with. But for us, it's the same way. For you, it's the same way. When you remember your identity as a Christian, um, when you know uh, that you are, when you're looking to share Jesus or to show Jesus, right? You share him with your word, you show him with your actions. When you're looking to do those things, you can have confidence that you're in God's will. You can have confidence that you're in God's will. And if you're in God's will, then no matter what happens, God is in control. And God, I mean, listen to this, God will bless you He will bless you no matter what your circumstances are. This is one of the things that is so revolutionary about Christianity. It's one of the things that marks Christianity. It's it's one of the things that has been one of the greatest testimonies of the Christian church from its beginning. was that people were willing to rejoice in the midst of their circumstances. They could celebrate before their circumstances got better. Because Jesus met them there. Because they remembered who they were and they remembered that, you know what, suffering actually can sometimes be part of what God is doing in your life. And in the midst of your suffering, it's not that God wants us to suffer, but God will absolutely use our suffering to bring to us a greater and greater experience of him. And so, all of us, we're all called to share and show Jesus. That's God's will for every one of us. Right now, the way that we do this might be different. You know, as I think about our church family, um, some of you will do more sharing with your words. Others of you will do more showing with your works. Right? Some of you are more word-oriented. You like to talk to people about Jesus. Um, Some of you are terrified of talking about Jesus. And you really want to show Jesus to people by the way that you act. Um, All of us have a call. And and I would say that um, those of us who share with words need to make sure that we have a life that is also showing what we're sharing. Okay? We need to make sure that there's integration in terms of what we share and what we show with our lives. What we say with words and what we do with our works. Um, And so those of us who share need to make sure that we're showing. Um, And then those of us who focus on showing, you need to step in and and grow in boldness so that you also share with words what you show with your life. Are you with me? So I'm not saying that we all have to be the same. You know, some of us might be 90-10 in one direction, 80-20, 70-30. You know, very few of us are 50-50, although we all strive for that kind of balance. Um, but the difference that we are in terms of personality, in terms of giftedness, we all need to make sure that we're both sharing and showing. I was thinking about how Paul is an apostle, and this is a unique thing, right? A unique office. Again, only 13 people in human history have ever had this office. And then I thought about, what about us? Like, how does this apply to us? And I thought, you know what? We all have a unique office as well. Okay, we're not apostles, so you're not an apostle. But you know what? 
you know people that Paul didn't know. There are people in your family, there are people in your community, there are people at your workplace um, that you know that Paul never knew. And so in some ways, I mean, not in some ways, but in a very real way, we all have a unique office that Jesus has called all of us to show and to share the message of the gospel, to show and share the good news. And when we embrace that, when we walk in that, this is God's will for us. It's God's will for us to be able to reach the city of San Diego and beyond. And so being clear on your identity as a Christian, it gives you strength. It gives you strength. And knowing that you are following the will of God, it gives you confidence. It gives you confidence even in the midst of suffering. And so the last thing that we see, the third point, is that this identity as Christians, it lets us live life with meaning. Okay, it lets us live with meaning. This is the last phrase in this first verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Um, if you have a pen or a pencil, I would encourage you to circle two words in this verse, in your Bible or in the bulletin. Circle the life. See how it says that? By the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. That kind of jumped out at me, because you would think you would just say the promise of life that's in Christ Jesus. Right? There's this life that, that Jesus offers, but what he says is it's the promise of the life, the promise of the life. And I think this phrase is actually common in our speech today. Right? You've heard someone say when they're lying on the beach, right? when they are at the beginning of an extended vacation, and they have a drink in one hand, and they look over to their friend, and what do they say? They say, man, this is the life, right? This is the life. I could get used to this, right? Um, I think one of the beer commercials, fellas, it doesn't get any better than this, right? That's what Paul is saying here. Saying when he, when he talks about the promise of the life, that is in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying this is the life. What's crazy about this, right? This is a little bit crazy because Paul's talking about this promise of the life that's in Christ Jesus and yet he's in jail. He's in jail. He's abandoned by his friends. He's waiting for his death. And he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and this is the life. Paul says, this is the life. Paul says, I know that I have done exactly what God wanted. I know that God is with me. I know that God's power is in me. And it makes me celebrate even in this awful situation. Paul says, God has given me a mission and I'm following it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm following God's will for my life. And Paul says, it makes me feel fulfilled in my frustration. 
He says, it makes me feel accomplished in my agony. It makes me feel significant in my suffering. This is the life. And friends, I want to tell you, this is the life. What Paul is describing, this is the life. This is eternal life. Okay, This is a happiness that's not dependent on your circumstances. This is a happiness because you can be living the life when everything has gone wrong. When the stuff outside of your control falls down on you and comes crashing down, this is your life. Like This is the life when your relationship with God is the most important thing about you. Paul is chained to a pillar in a prison cell connected to the sewage system of Rome. And he says, this is the life. This is the life. This life is eternal life. It's life that lasts forever. And we've talked about this before. It's not just a quantity of life. Right? It's not just that this life will go on forever in the new heavens and new earth after Jesus comes back or after he dies. But this is a quality of life. This is a kind of living that will go on forever. And because it's this quality of life, it can start right now. It started then. It was there with Paul. He was living the life in the prison cell. We can live this life now. It's not absent of frustration. It's not absent of agony. It's not absent of suffering. But it's fulfilling in our frustration. You feel accomplished in your agony. You feel significant in your suffering. Because you are doing God's will. Because you are following Jesus. You're embracing your identity and you're walking in it. This is the life. And Paul knows that if he continues to just pursue his mission... Right? to pursue his mission, to let the world know that Jesus is proof that God loves the world, then what he does now in prison will impact people forever. And guess what? He was right. Because <laughs> here we are 2,000 years later and we're still reading what he wrote. Paul made a decision that he was going to celebrate, that he was going to remember his identity. He derived the confidence of knowing and so he lived with meaning. And this is the life. Better than riches, better than fame, better than anything. When you're smack dab in the middle of the will of God and you remember your identity, when you understand your mission, and you walk in that. And so Paul's introduction, this first verse, is an invitation for us to join him. I want you to remember your identity that you're a Christian, that you have a relationship with God, and that is the fundamental, the core, the most important thing about who you are. And I want you to let that identity, I want you to ask yourself, if this is who I am, then how would God want me to act in this role, in this relationship? Because as you do that, you will find meaning. And what will happen is this will change your life, won't it? Will this change your life? Um, 
We saw Saving Mr. Banks this last week. It's this movie about the author of the book Mary Poppins um, and the author's relationship, this lady who wrote the book Mary Poppins and her relationship with Walt Disney and the Disney company as they were trying to make the movie Mary Poppins. And so you have this author with a book, right? And then you have Walt Disney and his employees who want to make a movie, okay? And they want to make it this amazing kids movie with, you know, animation and music and happy and joy. And the author is jealously holding on uh, to her book. And she doesn't want any changes to be made. And her book is actually pretty grim. Um, It's pretty austere. And as the movie goes on, you just watch the dynamics here. Because they're trying to make this happy movie. And she's going like, no, 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 no. And she walks out. I've had it with you guys. I'm leaving. Right? And so there's this fight going back and forth. And, And while this relationship is transpiring, we're also getting to watch the author's backstory. And we're realizing that this book that she's written about Mary Poppins is about herself. Um, and not just about herself, but it's about her father. This is a big spoiler alert, so I'm going <laughs> to... Sorry. Um, it's about her and her father. And this, this girl grew up with an alcoholic father who had this amazing affection for her, but was an awful dad. And so she's growing up desperate that somebody would save her dad. That's what she wanted more than anything else. And it was something that never happened for her. It never happened for her. And so she's fighting because she wants so much for the father character in the book to be redeemed, right? For the father book to be saved, but he never was. He never was in her own life. And so finally, Walt Disney himself flies to London to meet with her. And what he says to her, I I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe this is what he says to her. Walt says to her, he says, Mrs. Travers, it's the author, he says, give her to me. Mrs. Travers, give me Mary Poppins. Trust me with your precious Mary Poppins and I won't disappoint you. He says, I swear that every time a person goes into a movie house from Leicester to St. Louis, they will see George Banks being saved. They will love him and his kids. They will weep for his cares and they will wring his hand, their hands when he loses his job. And at the end, when he flies that kite, oh, they will rejoice and they will sing. In every movie house all over the world, in the eyes and hearts of my kids and other kids and their mothers and fathers for generations to come, George Banks will be honored. George Banks will be redeemed. George Banks and all he stands for will be saved. He says, maybe not in life, referring to her dad, but in imagination. Because that's what we storytellers do. We restore order with imagination. We instill hope again and again and again. And as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking that's exactly what Jesus is saying to you this morning. Jesus is saying, I have an identity for you. And if you will trust me with your life, if you will follow me, I will give you this identity and I will redeem your life. 
I will take whatever you have been up to this point, and I will give you the identity of my child. I will let you live with me. I will give you confidence, and you will be redeemed in this life. I mean, that's the difference. When Jesus says it, it actually happens. He says, your life will be redeemed. Your story will change. From here going forward, everything can be different. Jesus wants to redeem you by changing your identity. And if you are a Christian, Jesus wants to redeem you by reminding you of your identity. Because as you walk in this identity, you will get an eternal meaning. The things that you do will last forever. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are, we are overwhelmed and thankful that you would come to us, not just once and live and die and rise again, but that you would come to us today and that you would look each one of us in the eyes. We can see you, Jesus. We can see you come down from the cross in resurrection glory, coming to us with a smile on your face saying, give me your life. Trust me with your life. And I will redeem you. Jesus, help us to give you our lives. Help us to take on your identity. We confess, uh, the Christians in this room confess, Jesus, that so often we take your identity and we live however we want. And we're sorry for that. We're coming back to you now. And we give you again our life. And we take your identity. We're members of your family. We have your power. We have your love. Jesus, redeem us. Redeem us. Help us to see you in our lives so that we can celebrate. And Jesus, for those who are here and aren't Christians, would you help them trust you? Would you help them just confess that they need you and that they're willing to follow? God, let your identity impact our lives this week. We pray this in your name.